Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. at First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs is always a blessing to me, and, and I know it's a blessing to the Lord. I, it helps us to worship, and is very much a part of our worship. But today was exceptional um, in my terms, I guess, for lack of saying it. Uh, Jay and I, we, we plan our worship service way, way ahead, and um, we don't like surprises unless they're from the Holy Spirit. Don't mean to offend you. We don't like surprises from you. We like them from the Holy Spirit. And, um, and sometimes uh, it really fits, and sometimes there's absolutely no song to sing for the text of Scripture. I mean, when uh, there's no song about Abner. There's nothing about Abner. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I, well, I don't know. There's just no song about Abner. But uh, today um, gave me a little clarity from the Lord about how to conclude the message today. But um, uh, the song, the choir just sang. Now, let me tell you why that song is dear to me. Through shady green pastures. God leads his dear children along. He leads us along. Well, I want to give you a little testimony that just brought thanksgiving and to my heart unto the Lord as I sat there and sang uh, with the choir as they sang this song. When I was in sixth, entered my sixth grade, sixth grade, um, it was obvious that um, we didn't have cell phones back then. But video games were just now coming into, into uh, vogue. And you had these video games. I can't remember what they were. Well, my daddy had enough sense to say, mm-mm, and he made me get a job with a farmer. We, I grew up in a farming community. And this wasn't a farmer where you go out and throw feed to the chickens. This, this guy had property. He had crops and uh, grain, corn, cotton, a, a whole shooting match. And, and um, so I became a tractor hand. And uh, I, I really worked 
most of the time year-round, most, most of the boys worked during harvest time, but I worked year-round, and I wish I could tell you that I had a plow in my hand walking behind a mule. I did not. Uh, I did uh, drive an open-air tractor for sometimes, not a lot. I had a John Deere 4840 air-conditioned stereo, uh, cushioned seats, um, throttle right here at my hand. I had it made I, I, and, uh, and all, but uh, worked for him a few years, then God called me to preach and, and uh, started preaching, preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old. It was um, five minutes long with a seven-minute pause in the middle. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, there was a station out of Corpus Christi, Texas called KCTA. Keep Christ or No Christ the Answer. Mickey, you know this station. And they played Bible preachers all day long. And uh, that's where I learned to love preaching, and I learned to listen to preaching. I read a sermon now. I read a sermon or listen to a sermon almost every day, uh, different subjects just to fill my soul. But I started back then in that John Deere tractor. And there was a particular preacher among the many. There was uh, Seitler, Harold Seitler, and Oliver B. Green, and... Uh, some of the old-time radio preachers, uh, J. Harold Smith, who I'd later have in revival, but there was a preacher, one of the most unique preachers that I, that I ever heard based out of Corpus Christi, and it was kind of his station. His name was Lester Roloff. Y'all may have never heard of Brother Lester Roloff. One of my heroes. Had homes for wayward boys, wayward girls, and, and, uh, and adults that needed a... Uh, needed the Lord, had them scattered out down there in South Texas. And uh, Lester Roloff would come on the air and he would start out singing. Uh, the Family Altar Program was the name of his station, and he'd start out singing. Um, and then it's raining, so I'm going to preach till, it's, till, till it quits raining unless I'm not through, all right? And then um, and he would close out a lot of times he'd close out his broadcast singing that song. God leads his dear children alone, along. And that just blessed me today and made me thankful that God didn't let me be running down to Padre Island every weekend and in the summertime sitting in front of video games, but he prepared me for my life in a John Deere tractor. Amen. And uh, I appreciate it. I need to call my old boss today and thank him for that. But um, nonetheless, uh, that was a blessing to me. And be thankful. When, when God gives you something in church to be thankful for, give him thanks. Amen? So open up your Bible with me to 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to preach this morning on the subject, the dangers of acceptable sin. The dangers of acceptable sin. Uh, and we're going to learn some lessons about David and his wives. Let me read to you the text. We're just going to read five verses, and then we're going to preach for five minutes with a seven-minute pause in the middle. I don't think so. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. Now, he had just finished talking about the beginning of the civil war that would last seven and a half years. And verse 1, the verse I just read, gives you a description. 
This is the only battle we have recorded in that whole seven and a half civil war between the forces of Abner and Ishbosheth and the forces of David. And it's the only battle in chapter 2. Chapter 3 gives us a summary. Saul's household started losing and David started winning. And then in verse 2, it just seems like it's almost a parenthetical section where God says, by the way. But God doesn't have any by the ways. He's always on the one way. And he says this, and, uh, and unto David were sons born in Hebron, where he made his capital uh, when he became king of Judah, and it was his capital for seven and a half years during the Civil War. Sons were born unto David in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoham the Jezreelitess. And his second was Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Now, those aren't nationalities. Those are sections in Israel, okay? And the third, Absalom, the son of Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. That's a whole other country. And the fourth son was Adonijah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitai, or Abital. And the sixth, Ephraim, by Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. So let's look at David and his wives and learn the lesson of acceptable sin. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, God outlined the plan and the purpose for marriage. He said, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So you have a man and a woman. Now, dads, give me an amen. Leave mother and father. Get off the payroll. Amen. Get out of the spare bedroom. And get your wife. And young ladies, don't marry a man unless he's a born-again, fundamental, Bible-believing Christian man that your daddy approves and I approve. And he has a job. Because if he doesn't have a job, he can't leave his mom and daddy. And if he can't leave his mom and daddy, he can't cleave to his wife. Amen? Boy, that's good preaching, and I know you love it. And so, that was the plan of marriage. A man and a wife. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman. A man and a woman. And God brings. People say, well, where did Cain get his wife? Cain got his wife the same place I got mine. God gave her to him. Right. Amen. Amen. That's good preaching. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Boy, we're having a glory time, aren't we? Well, give it time. You're going to be mad at me in a few minutes. <laughs> one man, one woman. David gets to Hebron, and he has six. Deuteronomy chapter 14, or rather chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, God says, 
to the children of Israel. When you get into the land and you choose a king and you get a king, make sure he's the king that I want you to have. Now, they blew that, didn't they, with Saul? Make sure he's the king that I have. And he's not going to be a foreigner. He's got to be one of your brethren. He's got to be an Israelite. And he says, this king shall not, shall not multiply money, gold, and silver unto himself. Boy, isn't that a unique idea? Politicians aren't supposed to get rich. You are not supposed to, your king will not supposed to collect horses and chariots. Egypt was known for providing horses. Matter of fact, Solomon got a lot of horses from Egypt. And it's an amazing thing. But Deuteronomy chapter 17 said, your kings are not supposed to build up their military with horses and chariots. God said, I will fight your battles. Third, the king is not allowed to multiply wives. All the other kings did it, but the kings of Israel were not to multiply wives. David multiplied wives. Solomon, his son, we will see when we get into 1 Kings one of these days, he multiplied wealth, he multiplied horses and chariots, and he multiplied wives more than David ever thought of. David starts out in Hebron when he's crowned king with six. Solomon builds up to 700. In the Hebrew, that means a heap of wives. <laughs> now, hear me out. This was acceptable in that culture. Abraham had multiple wives. Did he not? Jacob got multiple wives. You go David. He's got them right here. It, this is just the start. We're going to see some more in, later in chapter 3. We, we see something he did. But later on, we're going to see when he becomes king over all Israel and Jerusalem, he gets more wives. It just went that way. It became the downfall of the nation because Solomon's heart was turned away with his idolatrous wives. It turned away from the Lord. Solomon did some terrible things. And so when you come to the New Testament, though, you see that polygamy is no longer practiced by the Jews. You see it among the Greeks and the Gentiles who were being uh, coming to the Lord out of pagan, a big issue was multiple wives in the church. But the Jews in the New Testament do not practice polygamy, nor do the Christians. The church doesn't practice it. Why did the Jews quit? Because it led to the downfall of the nation with the king starting out marrying women from foreign kingdoms and adopting their foreign gods for alliances. And it led them into idolatry, and God judged them for 70 years 
and they didn't have, they weren't their own ruler until 1948. They learned real quickly how it all started. But that's a whole other message. Let's talk about the dangers of acceptable sin. First of all, let's look at the development of acceptable sin. David began to accept this sin of multiplying wives unto himself out of expediency. It was just expedient for him to do so. Let me highlight two of these wives for you. First of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, David is on the run from Saul. He has his hundreds of mighty men, 400 mighty men or 400 followers, men of renown who have come to him because they're distressed and in debt and Saul's reign has ruined their lives and so they follow after David. David is in the wilderness and upon a day there was a wealthy man by the name of Nabal and he had a wife and she was a wonderful, wise, wise woman. Her name was Abigail. She's mentioned in verse 3. And Naboth had a whole bunch of sheep and one day it was time to shear the sheep and they always had a big feast when it was time to shear the sheep. So David sent some of his men to Naboth and said, Look, Nabal, we have, we've been out here for uh, uh, months. We've seen your, your herdsmen. We've been out here with your shepherds. We've never robbed you. We've never taken anything from you. As a matter of fact, we've protected you from raiders and uh, you're having a big feast and, and we kind of have to scrimp and scramble for food sometimes. Can you provide us some sheep? And Nabal said, who is David? There's all kinds of vagabonds around here. If I feed David, I have to feed every one of them. Tell him absolutely not. Get out of here. They go back and David says, get your swords on. We're going to go wipe that guy out. In the meantime, his wife Abigail finds out. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 25. It's one of the, one of the great stories we preached on when we were in 1 Samuel. Abigail finds out she gets a whole bunch of dates and grapes and food and, you know, all kind of nutter butters and all kinds of stuff and loads it up on some donkeys and takes it out there and meets David. And David says, David says, what do you want? And she said, my husband is a foolish, angry, bitter man. Don't do this, David. Here, take this food. I'll see to it. And you know what David says? David says, you are a wise woman. You have kept me this day from offending God. You have kept me this day from a great wrong. If I were to do this, the people of the region would see me as a vicious, hateful man, and I never will be king. Thank you, Abigail. And David calms down. She goes back home. Nabal's drunk. And she sobers him up, tells him what she had done. He gets mad. He has a stroke or a heart attack, and he dies. David's already married to one woman named Michael. He takes her as his wife. It just seemed like the smart thing to do. It seemed like it'd be a benefit to have a wise woman in the household in addition to Michael, his first wife, Saul's daughter. Saul's daughter. It'd be just, just great expedient. So let's just marry her because she's going to be good for us. Girls, that's not the reason for me. Let me, can I, can I talk to these young 
Y'all give me a few minutes. There's only one reason to marry somebody. Macy Lee, now listen to me. Because if I'm around, I'll probably do your wedding. I'll probably be officiating your wedding. It's going to cost your daddy $500. But look, listen to me now. There's only one reason to marry somebody. And it's not love. It's the will of God. You need a long engagement. Get to know that person. Make sure they meet the qualities of Scripture. And then you marry them if it's the will of God for you to marry them. You stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk circumspectly in this world. Keep yourself pure. Do all the right things for, for God's will for your life. And, you, and I won't promise you, you'll know. Amen. Is that good? Amen. Mom and Dad, is that good? Amen. Go ahead. The plates are right here. Amen. That kind of preaching's free. But he married her out of expedience. There's another woman mentioned here, another wife. The Bible says there is this woman by the name of Micah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Geshur at this time was in Syria. Where, where Syria was. Now it's, it's a part of Israel, but, but back then it was a foreign king, and David took the king of Geshur. He was um, an Arab, if you will, and married his daughter. Now, God forbids that altogether. Very obvious in Scripture. But David does it anyway. Why did he marry this woman whose daddy was the king of Geshur. Well, here's why. You remember when Abner rebelled after Saul's death and he took Ishbosheth to a city called Mahatnaim? How many of you remember that from last week? Mahatnaim, way out there on the outskirts. I mean, way up there, way, way away, and made him king of Israel and started the civil war. Well, here's Mahathnaim, and here's Geshur. This was military expediency. I will marry into the family of the king of Geshur, so he won't unite with Ishbosheth and Abner and come after me. That just makes good sense. You see, acceptable sin sometimes is just expedient to do. Let me tell you another thing about the development of acceptable sin. Acceptable sin is easy. The culture says it's the norm. Go ahead. Everybody does it. You'll be an odd duck if you don't do it. Or maybe it's a sin of omission, something you ought to be doing that you're not doing. Man, if you do that, you're going to go contrary to culture. And that's not going to be easy. People are going to think you're weird. People are going to think you're holier than thou. Well, i got news for you. If you are saved, you are holier than them. Amen? Everybody's doing it. This is what kings do, David. They get a lot of wives so they can have a lot of sons. Isn't it easy to let culture and lost friends and lost relatives don't know the Lord affect how we do. Acceptable sin is expedient and it's easy. 
Now let's move on. I want to talk to you about the deception of acceptable sin. The deception of acceptable sin. This is really where it, where, where it troubles us. I had a, several things under this, but I'm just going to give you two. We changed that this morning. First of all, it deceives you because it launders your curses. You ever heard of money laundering? Money laundering is when you take money gained by illicit manner, illegal ways, and make it look clean. Is that right, Stan? That's what make it look beautiful, make it look normal, make it look legitimate. Well, acceptable sin in a society when especially a Christian accepts it, what happens is, is the curses that come with it, the chastisements that come with it are often laundered. Now, verse 1 says that for seven and a half years, David was winning battles. His family, his strength was growing stronger and stronger and stronger and the house of Saul in rebellion against him was going weaker and weaker and weaker. For all intents and purposes, it looked like David was blessed beyond measure. The war was at hand. He was winning. And he starts having sons. That's what a king wants to do. He wants to have as many sons as possible. One son every month would help him out. He wants his sons. That's why they collected all these wives. That's why they had harems. Give us sons. Sons meant that my dynasty is safe because they were always assassinating each other and carrying on. And so you just have another son. Well, that son's gone. We'll use this one. He'll be king. One right after another. The dynasty will last. So you got to have all these wives. But look at it close. To us down here in Mississippi in 2023, we would say six is enough, wouldn't we? Amen? Guys, I think your wives want more. Is six enough? Amen. Ladies, you can say amen. We're not legalistic in our church. Six is enough. Doesn't count the daughters. Six sons. But look at it closely. This isn't the blessing of God. It looks like it's the blessing of God. David had six sons by six wives in seven and a half years. That's nowhere near what should be normal. Every wife, and each wife had one son a year. The first one was born seven and a half years later. The sixth wife had another one. One son per wife per year. This is not the blessing of God in terms of what a king would expect. God was actually shutting their wombs. He wasn't blessing David, but it sure did look like David was being blessed. Did it not seem that way? The lesson we learn here, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, is don't let what you think are your blessings determine whether or not you're right with God. You think you're right with God. Let me tell you this. I was in the doctor's office last time I had my checkup. 
Walked in, and there was a fellow I know. This fellow's lost. He's unsaved. He he's, doesn't live for the Lord at all. You try to witness to him, he'll shut you down, turn you off. He don't want to hear it. And so we had our checkup, same day. My doctor told me, he said, your problem is you're fat. And I said, I want a second opinion. He said, all right, you're ugly too. He said, but I can help you with the first. No. He said, uh, your heart's in good shape. Your blood's good. You're doing good. I think you're pretty healthy. I'm not going to increase your meds. That's the health in America. You're healthy when they don't increase your meds in America. So I asked the old boy, I said, what kind of reports you get? He said, man, doctor said, your heart's good. You're healthy. I don't even need to increase your meds. Well, there's a pagan, and here's a Christian. I can look at it and say, God's blessing me with good health. I must be right with God. If I could say that, he can say the same thing. So don't let your perceived blessings be the gauge by which you determine whether or not you're right with God. You determine whether or not you're right with God by your obedience to his word. And you do not determine whether or not, whether or not you're right with God by your problems either. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. Do you think he was right with God? And so let's move on because that, that, that's later on down the sermon. And so he launders your, your curses. God was withholding blessings from him in that area of his life. The area of his war was going great, but in the area of his family and dynasty, it was not going so well because of acceptable sin. And then another danger of acceptable sin is it lags in its consequences. One way in which acceptable sin, or any sin for that matter, is deceiving is that sometimes the consequences don't come till later. We, we don't get into sin and, and, and sin against God and all of a sudden have consequences upon our heads. Now, if you're a Christian, you're going to have the impulse of the Holy Spirit in your heart telling you this is wrong and you need to deal with it right then, but you pursue it and pursue it and and, and before long, you kind of put the Holy Spirit's voice on the back burner and, and you look around and you say, man, I'm just as blessed as I've always been. Everything's fine. Everything's going good. And you're not under the consequences of sin and you really don't think it's sin anymore because the consequences haven't hit you. A few weeks ago, I gave a sermon illustration. It's the best sermon illustration I've ever heard on this and I'm going to share it with you because I experienced it. And it's the fire ant illustration. How many of you remember that one? How many of you ever been set on by fire ants? If you, if you have been in Texas, North Louisiana, and Mississippi, and you've never been set on by fire ants, you need to go out to the country and spend a few days in the country. But you can be out dove hunting or working or doing something and, and, and stand still and the edge of your heel be on a fire ant mound and you not know it. And those boogers are crawling up your pants leg 
And they're not getting on only, only on the exposed part of your body. They're getting all over you. And you don't feel a thing. And you're just sitting there, boy, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> and they're getting all over you, and all of a sudden, one of those fire ants, the, the lead fire ant, will say, boop, 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 send out that Morse code, and them suckers will light you up all at once. They will sting you from head to toe all at once, and you feel it, and you're throwing off your, 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 your gun vest, you're, you're pulling off your shoes, you're hollering and rolling around in the cactus, and you're looking for a, a, a pond to jump in. I mean, they're all over you, and you got, by the time it's over, you got all kinds of whelps, and your mama's putting that calamine, all that stuff. It's something. That's the way sin is. It's all over you, and you don't even realize it because you've accepted it. You say, well, everybody, look at here. Everybody's on it. Everybody's doing it. And you've accepted it. And then one day the consequences come along, and pow, it sets you on fire. It lights you up. And for a while you wonder what happened. This is what happened to David. Let me share with you just a couple of things here. They're like fire you see, David's, this wasn't the, when we get to Bathsheba, that wasn't the first time David committed adultery. He could have committed adultery six times in our text. He had Michael was his wife. They weren't divorced. They weren't living together because Saul stole her, we'll see, took her away, we'll see that next week. But he, he committed adultery six times over. Bathsheba wasn't the first, but it sure was easier than, than these. And so it just kind of grows, and the consequences we see after that are devastating. There was an old preacher by the name of Angel Martinez. His brother was the one preaching when I was saved. His brother's name was Homer Martinez, but Angel Martinez was preaching. He has a famous sermon. If Angel came to your church, he's, he's with the Lord now, he would bring his own jalapeno jug of jalapeno peppers because he'd say white folk don't have, they're not hot enough. He was a Hispanic preacher. And um, interesting man. But he had a sermon on whatsoever man, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth that shall also reap. And this was his outline. Listen to this. You reap what you sow. Number two, you reap later than you sow. And number three, you reap more than you sow. David got more than he bargained for later in his life. That leads us to the third point, the destruction of acceptable sin. David felt it, and he felt it through his children for the most part. There were some other consequences, but mostly David's children. Now, his children acted on their own behalf. Don't think for a minute that God's going to judge you through your children. David was an influence to his children by his behavior. And they just did in the extreme or to further limits than David did. They just had their example. Let's look at a couple of them. Amnon, his firstborn, He's mentioned in the text. 
Amnon would grow up to rape his own sister. Where do you think he got the idea about how to treat women? And then you see Absalom. Everybody knows about Absalom. Absalom's a big part of 2 Samuel. We're going to spend a lot of time with Absalom. Absalom would murder Amnon because Amnon raped Absalom's sister. They were half-brothers. And Absalom and Tamar, the sister who was victimized and raped, was Absalom's full sister. And so Absalom murders Amnon. And Absalom will go on and rebel against King, King David and try to kill his own father and die a tragic death. We'll talk about that when we get to it. Where did Amnon, where did Absalom learn to murder? Didn't David murder Uriah, Bathsheba's husband? And so the fire ants started to sting him. You say, well, preacher, there's other sons. What about them? Well, some of them we never hear of again. The ancient rabbi said that they lived lives that were so ungodly and so away from God because of David's example that they weren't even worth mentioning in the history of Israel. The name of the wicked shall rot, Solomon, David's son, wrote. It destroyed his family. The consequences sometimes linger and lag, and when they hit, they can be very destructive. So, let me give you five lessons. Five lessons. Number one, we've already talked about, don't let your blessings be the gauge of your rightness with God. Remember what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? It rained on the good man and it rained on the bad man. He gives grace and help on this earth to everybody. Don't let your blessings be the gauge of your rightness with God. Nor do not let your problems and your burdens be the gauge of your disfellowship with God. We are right with the Lord when we are obedient to Him and the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, your acceptable sin will influence others. Will influence others just like David's did. Matter of fact, it may be your own children that are influenced. And remember this, we're going to learn from 2 Samuel that our children will do to excess what we do in moderation. Just remember that. That's a principle. We see it. You say, I don't know about that preacher. Well, Solomon had 700 wives. Boom, there's your proof. Another lesson we learn is, is let's talk about what are some acceptable sins today. What are some of the acceptable sins today? May get a little tense in here, so Miss Tracy, I want to say something humorous, and it might not be humorous, it might be serious. Go ahead and get bids from Penske and U-Haul because we might need them after today. 
<laughs> Amen. I'm just kidding, I hope. I'm just kidding. You get to determine whether I'm kidding. What are some of the acceptable sins today? Well, I want to tell you one acceptable sin in our whole culture is, is sexual sin. When I was growing up, driving that track, the culture, even the church, would laugh at homosexuality. What one generation laughs at, the next generation embraces. And there are churches today that are embracing homosexuality. One major church, I will not tell you which one, it will shock you. During great Gay Pride Month, we'll fly the flags. And I'm talking about a Baptist church. Now, we are embracing transgender. Gay marriage, those elements that are sinful, totally against God's plan all the way back in Genesis, and they're acceptable sin. And what that does to us who know it is sin, it just reduces our burden for those folks. And we do not pray for them and are not brokenhearted over their sin. Now, that's an easy amen for most of us in this room. Let me give you something that's not an easy amen. And Look, folks, I'm about to do what a pastor does. I'm about to do what a Bible-preaching pastor of a local church does, and that's address one of the sins of his congregation. All right? So I told you earlier I listen or read a sermon every day. And before I hit that play button or before I open up that old preaching book, I have to make a decision whether or not I'm going to receive the Word of God, how I'm going to react to the Word of God. And you've got to do that too. You know what? We do it every Sunday before we walk in this room. It, really, you do. You may not conscientiously stop at this door or that door and say, I'm deciding today to receive the Word of God for me and respond correctly as led by the Holy Spirit, or I'm going to reject the Word of God and I'm going to get angry and I'm going to get mad. Well, if you get mad about what I'm going to say, you've been mad at me a whole bunch through the years. There's a... Uh, and this acceptable sin, I think, well, I know, is taking the name of the Lord in vain. You say, well, preacher, I don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Wait a minute. I uh, was around a group of Christian people and they started talking about some program that they watch. They, they uh, binge watch it. Then there came another program that they watch. And uh, it's called Yellowstone and 1923. And so I love a good Western. I love High Noon. I love the rifleman, Chuck Connor, and I, I love the rifleman. I love restaurants. So I came home one night. I said, Tracy, everybody's talking about this television show. Uh, I think we ought to watch it. I think it'd be good, at, you know, when we get home, get settled at night, and we ought to turn that on and watch it. It's a good question. Everybody likes it. 
We didn't watch that thing five minutes and heard the F word and the name of the Lord God of creation in vain, the depths, rotten, stinking depths of profanity. And I looked at Tracy and said, let's turn this mess off. I can't believe God's people are finding entertainment in this. I can't believe it. They're taking the name of the Lord in vain. And one of them stands up and says, now wait a minute, preacher, wait a minute. I'm not the one taking his name in vain. You don't think so? Do you know what that word take means? If you get home this afternoon and say, you know what, I agree with that preacher, and look at your sweet wife or your sweet husband and say, I'm going to take him a $100 bill and give it to him. You get up out of your house, you get in your car, you come to my house, I'll meet you halfway for $100. And you say, I'm, and you're taking me a $100 bill. You tell your husband, I'm taking him a $100 bill. You get to me and you say, here's a $100 bill. I reach out and I take it. Taking is active and it is passive. Kevin Costner is active and you sit there being entertained by it. You're passive, but it's still taking the name of the Lord God in vain. You say, preacher, I'm not convicted by that. Well, let me share something with you. We sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We sang that great, great hymn, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We sit in here and praise him and then find profanity linked to his name on Monday night and we're not being hypocritical and embracing acceptable sin. Dear brother and sister, no wonder we can't have revival. No wonder you're in here 15 minutes ready to leave. No wonder you won't receive the Word of God. No wonder you're not hungry for it in the morning. No wonder you struggle in your prayer life. You're not honoring God, and you're not lifting up His name, and you're in sin, and you've embraced acceptable sin. Repent, therefore. Let's have revival in your life and honor the name of the Lord. You can't honor His church. You can't honor His Word without honoring His name. You can't. You cannot do it. No wonder we can't have revival. The people of God find it entertaining when the Savior who died for us, sent by the Heavenly Father who created us and loves us and died for us and has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, and we enjoy it when he's cursed or ignore it when he's cursed and just say, oh, well, oh, well. Bless God, we watch the Beverly Hillbillies or something. If you got to watch something, amen. Get Andy Griffith show. The worst thing on Andy is Otis. Those are some acceptable sins. I'm not going to go on anymore. I think that's enough. If we get church members to repent from that, Brother Jay, we might have revival in here. Missions might start getting saved at a faster pace. Amen. Well, there's another lesson to learn. Where is Jesus in all of this? Well, here he is. Look at verse 3. And the second son, Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal. Chiliab. Interesting. Abigail was Nabal's wife. Abigail was the one that was an honorable woman. And David said, oh, I'd love to have her as a wife. And she had a son. 
First Chronicles chapter 3 says, David named him Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. That's what Daniel means, God is my judge. And um, what it is, is the rabbis teach this. The rabbis say that when this boy was born, it was after Nabal was smitten by the Lord, and David got his wife. And David said, see there, see there, God has vindicated me. God has sat on the throne as a judge, and I am vindicated today. I got his wife. This boy will be called Daniel. But the rabbis further teach this, and, and whether or not it's true or not is a lot of debate. I don't know if the timing works out, but the rabbis do teach this. Many of them do. That people saw this boy... And they said, David, you've got a stranger in your family. That's not your son. That's Nabal's son. That's the son of Nabal. So if, if this boy Daniel ever is on the throne, your dynasty's over, David. Well, David knew better. And so David said, all right, we're going to change his name to Chiliab, which means looks like the father. That's what that means. So David said, okay, boys, you're telling this lie. You're trying to get this propaganda started amongst my enemies. We're just going to wait and see what he looks like. And sure enough, he looked like David. You see, when you are in Jesus and you're in the bloodline of our king of kings, you grow to look like the king. Romans chapter 8 says, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. A saved man in the family of the king grows up to favor the king more and more and more. It's called sanctification. Amen. Now, Listen to me. Two things I want you to do. Number one, ask yourself, make your calling and election sure. Are you born again into the family of the king? Look back over that decision you made or your upbringing. Has there ever been a time when the Holy Spirit of God approached you and said all sin is unacceptable to God and you are a sinner, but Christ took your penalty? Christ took your death on the cross and he went to the grave and he rose again and he can save you from your sin and give you a home in heaven and the wrath of God will not be on you. You might have the consequences of past decisions, but you won't have the wrath of God. Are you born again and are you looking more and more like the king? The second thing I want you to do is to help you look more and more like the king is I want to go back to that verse we first referenced in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17 when David, when the kings are, for, are forbidden to uh, have horses and multiply horses and chariots, multiply uh, money, multiply wives. And he says, this is what a king must do. This was one of the main things an Israeli king was to do. 
And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest of the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear his God, to keep all the words of his law and these statutes to do them. That is how he was supposed to avoid acceptable sin was to keep the Word of God ever before him. See, it's the Word of God that it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the Word of God that will reveal to you acceptable sin, that will uncover it. It is the Word of God that will cut to the chase between soul and spirit and joints and marrow and will show you the real you and how you stand in fellowship before the Lord. And it'll open up your heart and show you His grace where you can seek His forgiveness and restoration of relationship and walk with Him and be obedient and avoid the pitfalls and the deception and the development and the destruction of acceptable sin. I pray you would. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, For this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is according therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It is how we overcome acceptable sin. Let's stand for our song of appeal. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.